All right, week number two, Ryan, we are back for our Tuesday episode, uh, November 17th. Uh, how was your weekend? I was great. I was a lot of football, a lot of happiness, and now in turn, a lot to talk about. Yeah, a lot to talk about. Um, you know, I feel like uh, we're going to have better audio this episode because um, both of our mics works a little behind the scenes there. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to get into it. Um, some college football recap uh, to start. Now, WVU, uh, before we get into that game, we were wrong about Gus Johnson. Of course, you know, the one uh, 12 noon kickoff game, he doesn't announce for the first time in a year and a half, almost two years, WVU game. Um, you know, sorry about that, guys. Uh, we were disappointed, too. We, we um, just chose to catch him at 3.30 whenever he was announcing the USC-Arizona yeah. game. Yeah. I heard it, I heard him on the call. I was like, well, this is fine. Perfect segue. Yeah. Um, but before we get to that game, uh, let's start with Miami versus Virginia Tech, uh, one of the games we talked about uh, on our Friday episode. Um, Miami didn't look great. They had eight uh, penalties for 77 yards. Uh, they're the second best team in the ACC, and that's not, you know, an opinion. That's an actual fact. They're seven and one uh, total record, and that's also conference play because they're only doing conference schedule. Uh, they're only losses to Clemson. Uh, they could find themselves back in the ACC championship game. Uh, you know, whenever that happens, you know, God forbid, uh, you know, if there's no postponement. Um, but Derek King, 24 for 38, 255, one touchdown uh, late in that game. Uh, Virginia Tech had a chance late in the fourth quarter to um, really make it interesting and take over and, and win the game. Uh, but just back-to-back -back week losses where uh, they've really had a chance and they kind of, you know, hurt themselves uh, by penalties and stupid mistakes. Virginia Tech uh, threw a pass with about a minute left, Ryan. And, you know, at that point, I get it. But at that point, they had only had one timeout and they weren't getting out of bounds. And then, you know, the quarterback, he's young. I believe he's a sophomore. Threw a pick. Uh, can't do that. Um, thoughts on Miami, Virginia Tech, uh, as we get, you know, closer down to uh, the ACC. The ACC, and we, and we may touch on it as we go through, but um, Notre Dame is, I mean, they're in control in that right now. I mean, that's, that looks like their conference to win, even though they're technically an independent, but welcome to 2020. Miami is going to have to step it up. I mean, I, I realize that if you win games ugly, you still win games. But being able to survive the way that I've been putting it, survive Virginia Tech, you're going to have to win games against better competition than that. I don't think Virginia Tech's terrible. I mean, again, last week we talked about them losing the Liberty, but Miami just has to play better. It's it's a simple statement, but it, it's going to it's going to carry them if they actually do it. But right now, I, I think it looks like Clemson and, and Notre Dame are the two in the driver's seat. Um, but especially Notre Dame, they, they look like they're, um, they look like they're for real. Yeah, it's uh, kind of funny. It takes a global pandemic, uh, once in a 100 year scenario for Notre Dame to join a conference, and it's only for <laughs> one year. Um, but yeah, those are the three best teams in the ACC. And we talked about it on Friday, how we thought Miami might win this game by 10 or 17 points. Clearly wasn't the case. Uh, they came out a uh, little uh, rough and, and they did not play well in that first half. Um, but I think going down the stretch, their schedule is pretty easy. Uh, Georgia Tech, I believe they play uh, this coming weekend. Um, we'll touch on that on our uh, Friday episode. 
But yeah, I mean, Miami didn't look good, but hey, you know, that's how it is in college football sometimes, even with no fans. Um, you know, you can escape on the road and get by, and that's all you really need. Uh, moving along, Indiana, Michigan State. And uh, I'm excited because Indiana, Ryan, is 4-0 for the first time since 1987. They were 3-0 for the first time since 1988. Indiana, they have the game of their program for the first time in probably 30, 40 years this Saturday. And we'll touch on that. That's a big game. We'll touch on that this uh, uh, Friday episode, but they looked good against a one and three Michigan state uh, team could have been a trap game. Michael Penix jr. 25, 38, three twenty, two touchdowns, two picks. They have made it to Ohio state week. I love Tom Allen. That's my assessment of this game is I absolutely love him. He, he brings a fire that his players can kind of, what's the word I'm looking for here, kind of rally around. And I think it shows on the field because we, as we touched on it, it could have been a trap game. It could have been a game where they played down to the level of their competition and they simply didn't. They came out ready to play as if they knew, Hey, we have to win this game first before we can go play Ohio State. And now it's setting the stage for what is going to be the biggest game on Saturday. It, it is going to be fun to watch, and, and we'll cover it a little bit more. But I, I think I'm an Indiana believer, at least for uh, at least for 2020 and what they've shown so far. They're first in the Big Ten East. I mean, yeah. that's pretty remarkable. I Them mean, in Northwestern, I'll, I'll give a little love to Northwestern. Uh, you know, they're – they're there, but I, I think Indiana is the story here for sure. Yeah, I'm actually glad you uh, brought up Northwestern. I mean, let's just touch on that game because uh, I actually wrote it down here. Northwestern, 4-0, beat Purdue, um, you know, not handily, but they but they won the game this past Saturday. They're 4-0 in the Big Ten West. Those are your two first-place teams in each division of the Big Ten. Now, of course, Ohio State, you know, they had a postponement, so it's a little, you know, asterisk or whatever you want to call it, whatever. But Northwestern plays Wisconsin this um, this coming uh, Saturday, and that's a huge game uh, because really Northwestern and Indiana, both of those teams, Indiana plays Ohio State, and then two weeks from now they play Wisconsin. But outside of these two teams and these games, if they get past them, they can both find themselves in the Big Ten championship game, and that would be such a crazy scenario. Yeah, well, and I know we'll get to Wisconsin a little bit later, but I think Northwestern also, uh, you know, I have my divisions or conferences mixed up a little bit there. I apologize. But I think Northwestern also, it's it's actually refreshing to see a team like Indiana in one side and then Northwestern and then the other side, both both controlling their own destiny. It's It's a – I think of the NBA when I think of like a tired narrative because we're talking about um, Cleveland and Golden State playing each other for what, like four or five years in a row. And that can get draining. And I think it happens in college football, right? A lot too. People say, oh, Alabama's going to be in the playoff. Clemson's going to be in the playoff. It's, it's almost droning at that point, but it's refreshing to see teams like Indiana and Northwestern step up because that's what makes college football fun is those air quote underdog teams that nobody really had on their radar that are making it fun to watch. And, and again, I, I am an Indiana believer and I'm a Northwestern believer. I hope that they can give uh, their respective Ohio State and Wisconsin teams a game. 
I, I would personally love to see that championship. That would be uh that would be something for 2020. Yeah, I mean, it is Pat Fitzgerald, he's done a great job with that program anyway. Um, you know, and really in a year like this to get them four and uh, even with everything going on, kind of impressive. Um, you know, and while we're on the Big Ten, we might as well uh, touch on the other Big Ten game. Uh, that was uh, kind of a big one from this weekend, at least on paper. Uh, it was not um, interesting at all by watching the actual game. Wisconsin, Michigan. I mean, that's all I got to say. I mean, what, what's your thoughts? Michigan's terrible. They are they are just not good this year. Um, we we touched on it last week, but I, I think I remember you saying too, like Harbaugh could be safe through this because of the pandemic and the familiarity and not wanting to bring in a new system. Right. I didn't think my opinion of that could be swayed after one game, but that was embarrassing. That was embarrassing to lose to a team like Wisconsin. And granted, Wisconsin's good. I don't think anyone's I don't think anyone's knocking Wisconsin here. Nobody's saying that. Um, they shouldn't have came out of this and played well. You know, they hadn't played in a couple of weeks. They came out and they showed themselves. They were great. However, the story is somehow Michigan and, and us saying, wow, they're terrible. Yeah, they, they're not good. I mean, it, you know, and they're just simply, they're simply bad. I mean, there's, there's nothing that is, exciting about that team they come out on the Nothing. first play and he throws an interception and and i'm like this is th- and like this is the tone where it's over it's already over i love college football and i know you do too but one thing like even with like limited capacities like you know with fans and that's up to each team whether it's college or pro like if they want to allow fans or not but it's very different like when you're playing in a venue like the big house and you don't have fans at all like I understand you're still playing a game and wins and losses matter, but like, it's just, it gives a different atmosphere. And sometimes those are the type of games where bad teams can win. Like a Purdue can beat Ohio state, like on a Saturday night from a couple of years ago. Like those mm-hmm. are the kind of things that like changes games. I don't know if it would have changed this past Saturday, but listen to this. I found Wisconsin three forty one rushing as a team. That's incredible. 40-minute time possession, and I'm not a big time possession guy, but Michigan only had 18 minutes of time of possession. That's crazy. 468 total yards as an offense for Wisconsin, a team that hasn't played a game since October 24th. I mean, they just manhandled them. And I believe, I turned it off, weren't they up 28 nothing at half? Yeah. Yeah. Um- the thing is, is, is Marks doesn't have to play his best game whenever you're running for 340 plus yards, the Wisconsin special. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know where Michigan goes from here. And I really am in like the camp of like Jim Harbaugh is the reason they're relevant again in the first place. Cause Brady Hoke, you know, really did not do a good job coaching that program. But I mean, what do you do? You're one in three. You haven't beat Ohio state, you know, in, since 2012. I mean, it's – I don't know what has to happen for them to change. And maybe this is like an overreaction thing um, because they did get manhandled on a primetime game. But something needs to change, whether it's the quarterback. I mean, Shea Patterson – when Michigan had Shea Patterson, they were they were moving the ball well on offense. You know, 
they just don't have anything that like stands out to me like, hey, this Michigan team might hang with Ohio State this year. I don't see anything like that. I feel like that could be one that we turn off before halftime if, if all holds true in this game. And, and, and the thing is, is where does Michigan go from here? Well, I mean, I, I made the comment to somebody on Saturday. I said, I feel like it can only go up. But judging by the way this season's gone and, and how things have gone already, we, we might be on a little bit more of a downturn first, excuse me, yeah. before we can start looking back up. Um, 2021's a new year because 2020 is, is just not, a, it's not the Wolverine year, clearly. No. Um, so last game on the college football slate, um, WVU versus TCU. Ryan, I'll let you take the reins, as always, on uh, WVU. I know I've said it for every game that we've that we've done so far, but thinking back to our Friday episode, I believe my assessment of that game was is that West Virginia needs to start fast and they need to score first. They took a long drive on their first drive, went down and, and pretty much imposed their will on TCU. And right then and there, I said, that's exactly what they needed to do and that this is their game to control. Look, 24 to six, that's how you win a game convincingly. Um, just today, or just yesterday now, I suppose, as we're recording this on Monday, I swear on Tuesday, still getting used to that. Um, yesterday announced that Tyke Smith and TJ Simmons were the defensive and offensive player of the weekend, uh, respectively, for the Big 12. So big games from both of them. I, I think our defense was fantastic. I mean, obviously, to only hold a, a team to six points is always great. It's obviously not TCU's best year, but it always feels good to beat them. Um, and looking at a season over season analysis, now we're going to have a better regular season record than we did last year as far as percentage points. We'll at least finish 500. I mean, it's going to be two tough games coming up to close out the season. Uh, but Neil Brown Im improved his team again. We went from a five and seven team to at least what could be a five and five team and, and what I think will be a six and four team personally. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up T.J. Simmons. He had four catches for 90 yards, two touchdowns. Just a really outstanding day. Um, you know, TCU hasn't uh, been playing well this year. You know, uh, it's just that's what it is. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it seems like um, ever since Trayvon Boykin left, they've been a middle-of-the-road team anyway uh, in the Big 12. But let me ask you this because I was never really a Dana Holgerson guy. And then when he left, it was like, wow, he actually got the most out of our team that he could. You know what I mean? Like he had the Clint Trickett year and they won like four or five in a row, I believe it was. Game day came to Morgantown. They lost to TCU, ironically, uh, in that game. Um, you know, he's had those teams every single year. He had the Will Greer team, you know, that played uh, Tennessee uh, in that opening game in Charlotte like a year or two ago. Do you do you actually believe Neil Brown can get WVU maybe not a big 12 title, but like top of the, the pack? Cause I mean, they're the, ever since they joined the big 12, they're just a middle road team. They're always around seven, five, six in the conference. I think he can get us to a big 12 championship game. I really do. Um, the, the thing is, is, and I say this, I say this as a blanket statement. I think West Virginia fans have a skewed reality of what the world is. And this is a knock on me too, because I was probably one of the first people saying whenever Neil Brown was hired, I was like, oh, now we're going to compete for national championships. 
the thing is, is, is West Virginia historically is not one of these big, powerful programs. It's not, you know, it doesn't have that same big name recognition. It's not Alabama. It's not Ohio State. And that's fine. That is perfectly fine. West Virginia has a very storied history, over 150 years as a football team. Look, Neil Brown can bring this team to, to the promised land. I don't know if we'll ever win a national championship in that regard because we don't have that same recruiting prowess, but maybe he'll shock us. And, and I would love that. I would be the first person at the parade. But the thing is, is this starts with defense. The Big 12 is not known for its defense, but whenever you have a team like WVU and, and this year specifically and last year with Neil Brown's teams too, that defense, when you build around that and you can actually stop these teams with these high-powered attacks, that's what's going to matter more moving forward. And Neil Brown has clearly done that. The Stills brothers have been good. Obviously, Tyke Smith had a great game on Saturday, too. Um, I, I think he can make us competitive. I think this is a team that's going to rally around him, rally around the coaches, and hopefully in, in three years we're talking about a team that's competing for Big 12 championships, and, and I truly believe that. Do you think he will be able to beat Oklahoma this year? So I have us at 6-4. and four. That means that we're either going to beat Iowa State or Oklahoma, who are two of the best teams in the conference. I think we can beat Oklahoma. I'll go on the record as saying that. I think we can beat Oklahoma. Now, I, obviously, it'll depend on a number of factors. You know, if, if somebody's hurt, if this happens, that happens, whatever, that's all everything equal. This is a season where we can beat Oklahoma. In the past, I was less confident. Under the under the Dana Holgerson years, and I, I think that might have been just more of a talent side on the on the uh, Oklahoma end, because we're talking about guys like Kyler Murray, we're talking about guys like Baker Mayfield before him, and, and Jalen Hurts after him, guys that were established starters, guys that were ready to go. This is Spencer Rattler's first year as a starter, and he still has a lot of time left. I think he's going to turn into a great player, but I think a more experienced and veteran defense like West Virginia this year could potentially give him problems. I I, I really believe that. Um, before we get to, um, the games, the amount of games, excuse me, that were canceled this weekend due to college football, I do have to ask because we're going to get to that here just momentarily. What's your thoughts on like WVU and other teams allowing like 25% or 35% capacity? Because to me, I just, I would rather no fans at all versus limited capacity. So also, I'll, I'll go on the record of saying this too. I don't, I'm not a big going to football games person anymore. I feel like they're just a very jam-packed and crowded, but that's a story for a different day. Anyway, um, it, it's a completely different feel though. If you've ever walked in a stadium when there's no fans there and no players, nothing going on, it's eerie. It's strange. It's very it really weird is. to like walk on a field and look up and, and, and say to yourself, on Saturdays, on Sundays, there's 60,000 plus people in this venue. And that changes the atmosphere of a game. I mean, we've, we've both been to WVU games. Um, I, I've been on the field for a couple of WVU games in the past, and, and it changes that atmosphere. It, it, is, it is exciting to hear that. And it, it just doesn't match that. Um, I actually was talking to a close friend, and, and his dad came up to a game this past weekend, and he echoed everything that we just said. It's different. It's weird. It doesn't have the same feel. The, the pregame is just different. 
It doesn't have that same level of energy. And I think that's true. But I understand why they let fans into. Uh, there's obviously the business side of it where you have to make up some of your lost revenues. So that's one way to do it. And, and people will certainly pay for it. So why, why not let them in? Yeah, I think uh, it's always a weird visual when um, you see fans like in the camera shots on ESPN this year and they're wearing masks and like when a touchdown happens, they're not high-fiving, they're just clapping to themselves, you know what I mean? Because they don't want to touch strangers around like they did before all this. It's just, uh, it's very different. And speaking of the weekend we had in college football, there were when we recorded, there were six games canceled. Well, by the time college kicked off for uh, noon kickoffs on Saturday, there were 15 games canceled due to coronavirus. Going down towards the bowl season and the playoff, you know, committee is going to have to adjust. But there has to be a point where, okay, Wisconsin's 2-0, but they might have two more games postponed, not because of them, but maybe because some, you know, team that they're playing down the road, they have an outbreak. Same for Big 12, same for WVU, same for, like, Iowa State or whoever you want to name. There has to be a point where the playoff committee looks at it and goes, okay, we need to step back and reassess because – is this really the right time to do like an actual playoff? Like maybe let's just pick the two best teams for a national championship. And I know that's not going to happen. I like, that's just a pipe dream. Cause like, there's no way that's going to happen. ESPN has a billion dollars invested in the college football playoff. I mean, they have 33 of the 35 bowl games. Where so else is Dr. Pepper going to advertise if we can't have the college football playoff? Right. I'm afraid I would never see another Dr. Pepper ad. But there has to be a point as we get closer to the end of the season where something needs to be adjusted because Ohio State, Maryland, that we talked about from our last episode, it was canceled. Not because either team had tested positive. It's because Maryland is a hot spot again, especially around College Park. And I don't know what happens going forward. I mean, Cal UCLA yesterday on Sunday had a kickoff at noon to make up for the game that was postponed on Saturday. I mean, how many people, unless they were diehard college football fans, knew about a 12 noon, 9 a.m. local kickoff on Fox Sports 1 before an NFL Sunday plus the Masters? It's just, I don't know what happens going forward. But I do know that there's going to be some serious conversation probably in the playoff committee room saying, okay, do we want to take a 6-0 and Wisconsin team versus a 9-0 and Clemson team or a 8-1 and Miami team? Like, I just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of conversations in those rooms. And, and, and honestly, we're judging it on a skewed scale anyway because conferences are all playing different amounts of games. I mean, the Pac-12 may not even get the same fair shot, not that I think that there's a Pac-12 yeah, team. Yeah, they have a six-game schedule. Right, not that I think that there's a Pac-12 team good enough to make the playoffs, but the point being is, is we're talking about looking at a six-game schedule with potential implications of games canceled there 
versus uh, the Big 12, for example, playing 10 games. We're, we're judging this. It's kind of flying by the seat of our pants. We really don't know what's going to happen. We've seen a lot of games canceled already. And Scott kind of talked about it last last episode in regards to the NFL, but it it's it's at this mass where we don't know what else we can do. So we're just canceling games. I mean, sure, you have that bowl month, which is usually December into January, but do we really need that? I feel like we can skip that for a year. I mean, if you want I don't to want to, I don't want to watch the Hawaiian Bowl like on Christmas Eve this year. Like, let's do if anything, let's do New Year's Day bowls. I'm right. fine with that, but like, do we really need the Idaho Potato Bowl? Like, I understand like, you know, people watch those games and like I watch it myself, but this is not the year, especially where the country is entering a second wave, okay? We have states and cities becoming red hot spots again chicago where northwestern is located i don't know what's going to happen going forward for them but chicago just went on a lockdown again today i mean we'll see what happens but there has to be a point where there's not just postponement cancel postponement cancel and we have an actual plan in place because things are going to be happening here soon for selection on playoff teams on big bowl games like the orange bowl the peach bowl like those things are happening and they're coming up fast and you can't continue to postpone them and push it off to the side and say, okay, we're moving it to a later date. That's not going to be the, the solution. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, before we get to NFL talk, uh, let's talk a little bit about the masters. Um, so <laughs> Pretty much all the players we mentioned on our last episode kind of fell by the wayside. Um, you know, that happens. Golf, you know, uh, majors and tournaments are always four days. Um, Dustin Johnson was one away from breaking a record, the lowest uh, score in a major ever uh, to win a championship. He didn't do it. I mean, minus 20, still unbelievably uh, impressive. Getting his first green jacket. Uh, what a great move by CBS, airing that at 10 a.m., and it ended right around 3 o'clock, 3.15. So there was enough time for them to do post-game on that before they got to their 4 o'clock games. Um, Tiger Woods had the, the big shot that got in the, uh, you know, into the water, took him, you know, down to, I believe it was minus one for the tournament. Um, other guys out of that uh, Masters, Cameron Smith uh, had a chance to, you know, make it interesting. At uh, early in the day, he was minus five back. Uh, he was at minus fifteen, and Dustin was at minus twenty. But Dustin just kind of stayed around there all day and stayed par on the back nine. Uh, what's your thoughts on the Masters, uh, especially since it, you know, aired in the fall this year and not normal like it does in April? Yeah, it's definitely different. It's it's different. Uh, one one sentiment that I've heard from a lot of people kind of rolling over is is the fact that obviously playing it in November means that we're playing in daylight savings time. So it's almost expedited even more in that sense to be like, okay, we got to move it through. We got to get this done quick. So it, it did have a different feel to it. Uh, it. It's one of those sporting events, though, that you absolutely can't can't cancel and i'm glad that they were able to play it. it it's the it's the most prestigious rounds of golf that are played probably every year so it's exciting to see it and, and also exciting to see dustin johnson almost run away with it too uh we obviously like a little drama whenever it comes to comes to golf usually but when we're talking about a guy almost setting a, a course 
you know, setting a course record at almost the best rounds ever, I, I can deal with that too. And, and he's more than deserving. Yeah. On um, Friday and Saturday, because of the daylight savings time, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, they weren't able to finish the first round and the second round on time like they normally would be able to. So they had a lot of early tee times those next two days on Friday and Saturdays, a lot of tee times around like 10 after seven in the morning or after seven, like typically in a master's like first tee times might not be until seven forty-five. So, you know, about a half hour difference, but it still makes a huge difference when you're trying to get in 18 holes before daylight savings. And then, you know, we also had for the first time ever, in a major, uh, Dustin Johnson ranked number one, Justin Thomas, number two, John Rahm, number three, uh, the top three players ranked in the world anyway, um, tied at some point um, in a major. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, but, you know, it was jam-packed in a, a big weekend of sports. Um, but we're, we're going to switch gears now. All right. And, and before we get into our interview, one, one other quick thing here. Um, I want to give a big shout out to Marshall. Uh, big day for Marshall. 50th anniversary of the uh, plane crash in 1970 uh, for them to go seven and zero on, on Saturday. That's a big deal. Um, obviously a tragic event, but I would be, I would be a mess to um, not mention the other big school in the state. So shout out Marshall, great start to the season so far. And uh, what a, what a way to win. Yeah. And uh, if anyone's a, uh, football fan out there uh should definitely check out the movie uh we are marshall with matthew mcconaughey he actually posted about it on his instagram um this weekend so yeah we're uh ryan why don't you tell the people who we have on today yeah for sure so now we're going to transition into our interview uh we're interviewing taylor bashotti she is an nfl network reporter and anchor uh it's great interview definitely want to gonna want to stick around for that uh, never going to stick a one of whatever I just said. Uh, but anyway, you're definitely going to want to stick around for her. Uh, great interview. And then we'll get into our NFL recap after that. Now, our interview with Taylor Bashotti. All right. So we now transition into our interview. Uh, today, we have self-proclaimed fashionista and football fanatic, uh, NFL Network anchor and reporter and a fearless leader in the sports community, Taylor Bashotti. Taylor, thank you for joining the Two Ryan Sports Show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I thank you very much. Two, two Ryans in one podcast. Crazy. What are the odds? Makes it easy to remember. That way, um, that, that's what everybody says. Every, everybody loves the two Ryans. I guess I guess it just makes it easy. Well, whatever works. Um, but yeah, so again, thank you for coming on here today. And we want to talk a little football with you. Obviously, we're getting into the heart of the season here. Um, a lot of big storylines. A lot of big storylines as we move down the stretch here. Uh, one of the big ones that we've discussed and, and kind of looked at from a full scope is the is the AFC playoff picture. Yeah. So this is a this is a big jumble of of teams fighting for those wild card spots now. Uh, so as as this clears up, who who do you identify as the three teams that are, are going to secure those playoff spots down the road? Well, I mean that's a loaded question. I know you guys are both Patriots fans, and just when everybody thought that they were out of it. There they come along last night in the pouring down rain and pull out a miraculous win that everybody kind of thought that they were going to lose. I feel like Bill Belichick in a week's time revamped that entire offense and all of a sudden went back to the basics, which is their running game. And Harris is not just an average running back as we saw last night. He's fantastic. So just when everybody just like discounted the Patriots, of course, now they're right back in the mix of things. 
And as I understand, I think you guys are both Patriots fans, right? Uh, I'm Eagles, Steelers. Steelers, okay. Well, yeah. at least they're, they're definitely in the playoff picture. But I think that we're going to see a lot of movement between now and the end of the season. I think that the teams that are definitely going to be in there have already solidified their spots. You know, like we know that the Steelers are, we know that the Chiefs are. And then I, th- I think that pretty much all the, it, it's just going to be a different year because they are allowing more teams into the playoffs, right? And so you aren't, you aren't going to see it be as competitive, I would say, because they are allowing those teams that you were usually teetering right on the end. Like, should they make it? Should they not? And so I think that the format is actually better for the teams that are good and their records just don't show it. Yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned the, the Patriots, though, because last night was, it was one of those games where you didn't feel like it had a lot of playoff implications because New England's had a, a stagnant year and yeah. the Ravens have been so dominant the last uh, you know two, three years now even. And, and we look at now, it now on Monday. In that one division or that one conference, you've got in the AFC North, you've got the Ravens, the Steelers, the Browns, the Bengals. Well, the Browns are now, they have the same record as the Ravens. So those are two teams that are both going to be fighting for that playoff spot. Do you think, think the Steelers Ravens have run away with that one? Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Sorry. Do, do you mean, uh, do you think the Ravens are going to miss the playoffs? No, I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs, but I do think that they need to figure out where their biggest problems are, which I think that you can't depend as much on Lamar as you're seeing they are. There was not one other playmaker last night that really stood out and stepped up to make a play. It's kind of like every defense is just trying to see what he's going to do because Lamar can run the ball. He can throw the ball. He's, you know, elusive and evasive, but we haven't seen, we haven't seen Mark, you know, we've got JK Dobbins out there and uh, Gus Edwards, but they're not making plays like, Mark Ingram was making last year. And then we saw Skura, the center, and he has a bank or he has a messed up hand. Well, he couldn't snap the ball properly. So there's a lot of issues on offense and defense, especially with there's two offensive linemen out, two defensive linemen out. So I think they are going to have to get better in order to make it to the playoffs. But I do think that I do think that they're going to get by just because of their schedule. Well, talking about playmakers, uh, a division that doesn't have a whole lot of them, to tell you the truth, uh, the NFC East. Uh, we've talked oh, about gosh. it um, a lot on our show today. <sighs> I mean, you can't even – both every, every team in that division doesn't even look like they want to make it. That's just how bad it is. I mean, I think the biggest question coming out of this past weekend is Carson Wentz going to be starting next week? I mean, it's a crazy, you know, oh, two weeks ago, you know, three weeks ago, a year ago, you would never have thought that that question would have come out of anybody's mouth. But it's when, at what point do you put Jalen Hurts in there? And again, you can't, you can't put all the Eagles problems on Carson Wentz. Again, like you can't put every team's problems on just one player. Like the quarterback is just kind of like an easy, easy target, but you didn't see him making the plays that he once did. I mean, it's not just that, but I mean, we both think that the winner of the division is going to have five or six wins. And there's a real scenario where uh, second place, like finisher in that division might be like in the top 10 for the draft. Like that's how bad the division is. Like Washington's one game back. Like it's, it's crazy. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting with that division too, because it, at the, at the uh, beginning of the season, we're talking about Philly as kind of the, the favorite right. once Dak Prescott goes down. And, and after this past week, we're looking at it saying, yeah, maybe the Giants aren't as bad as they as we thought they were, but that that's kind of the year that we're having with the NFC East. Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty bad, but I do think that again they 
Eagles did suffer a lot of injuries. The Giants obviously suffered a major injury in Saquon. So you can't really, it's not a true like testament to what, what they would look like if they were fully healthy. But clearly your Steelers aren't struggling right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I've said multiple times, this is, this is the craziest I've ever felt in, in all my years of being a fan, being 9-0. and It's the first time, I think, ever, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To, to look back on a franchise. Now, again, obviously pre-70s was tough, but uh, a team that has been so good in, in, in the past to say they've never been 9-0. That's yeah, just, I think that you just, I think you have to credit Mike Tomlin and you have to credit Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, to, to have a coach that's been able to literally somehow find a way to win. He's never really had a losing season and no matter what, what he's given Ben Roethlisberger goes out Mason Rudolph, who isn't a starting quarterback. He finds a way to win five games with them last year. They lost three, five and three. So it's not great numbers, but he found a way to win five games with them and they lose their number one running back. Well then, all of a sudden, you know, they've got James Conner. So he's been able to just, he's definitely up there in the coaching category with Bill Belichick, John Harbaugh. He's a phenomenal coach. It, it always makes me feel good to hear people say that because because I often think Mike Tomlin gets a, a little disrespected overall because he, he does have those same characteristics as as great coaches in, in the look, all-time category. When you look at every all the storylines that came out about Antonio Brown last year. That's when I was like, this guy deserves coach of the year for keeping that in-house for all those years. It's crazy that he really was able to keep it under wraps and keep whatever was going on there, which was clearly a lot, kind of keep it in the locker room and keep it in the facility. And they never had stories leaking like that until of course, right when he was about to leave. But you look at uh, John Gruden, John Gruden couldn't even keep him in check. Yeah. Well, and, and, there's a lot to unpack with Antonio Brown and, and we could probably do a full hour show on, <laughs> on everything that Antonio Brown a full, has, a full week. has been. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm sure you've, you've done that and, and had your fair share of Antonio Brown reports over the last eh, maybe three years, maybe even now. So been quite a, quite a story there um, to jump back to, we're talking about big Ben and Carson Wentz, some of those names, but I want to focus in real quick here on the rookie quarterbacks. Because this year, maybe more than ever, the rookie quarterbacks are are in the in the people's eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Joe Burrow and and Tua Tagovailoa along with Justin Herbert, three guys who have really stood out. Moving forward, though, from from what you've seen so far in your observations, who's kind of the guy that stands out to you the most, and and who would you want moving forward? So I'm a little bit biased when you ask me this question because they have not sent us out of state to cover any games this year. So the only quarterback that I've seen the most is obviously Justin Herbert because um, I'm based here in LA and he has been phenomenal to watch going through his progressions, just his poise, the way that he's able to lead his team into all these like fourth quarter comeback wins. And of course they ne- they're never able to close the deal. And it's just heartbreaking to watch them lose almost every single time. Um, but I am the most impressed with him. I even think more so than Tua Tungabailoa, who's getting all this like hype and praise right now. And while he does look good, I just haven't seen enough of him. And I haven't seen him in situations that Justin Herbert has been in almost every week and has pulled off insanely successfully. It seems like Justin Herbert's been putting the ball in players' hands. And it, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't come down to him making a mistake you're seeing him almost play near perfect football. Sure. And, and 
if my if my stats are correct, the Chargers have not lost a game by more than a score, one score this yeah. year. So yeah. he's in a lot of tight games, and and eventually you have to believe that the tide's going to turn really for him. Fun. Let me tell you, they tell me to like stand on like you know like it's like when you're doing post game interviews, they are going to have you interview the winning team. Well, they we never know who's going to win the game. So at the two minute warning, we go down. And then they're like, just stand right in the middle, right at the goalpost. I'm like, what? They're like, we don't know if it's going to be the Chargers or last week it was the Chargers Raiders. So they're like, we don't know if it's going to be the Chargers winning or the Raiders winning. Then the Chargers won the game. They counted as a touchdown. So like, I'm sprinting back over there. Then they're like, nope, it's calling it all back. I'm running back over there. I'm like, thank God I wear tennis shoes every week, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, 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 I love the Chargers just because I do cover them a lot. And it's just been heartbreaking to see that team lose so many close games and in the worst ways possible. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, uh, it seems like they're always, uh, when you turn on the uh, NFL red zone at four o'clock, they always find themselves uh, down a prime spot. Yeah. Uh, I know. And it's like, it's Justin Herbert's done such a great job. And so it's, it's frustrating to see somebody who has like, come in for Tyrod, stepped up, made incredible plays time after time, thrown multiple touchdown passes, thrown for over 300 yards in almost every single one of his games. And then to see him lose like that, it's just, it's frustrating. Um, Talking about quarterback play, uh, Cam, last night he played not great, not okay, just kind of average really, 13 for 18. Um, It feels like New England's going to find themselves out of the playoffs this year and I don't know, Bill, you know, he beat the Jets. They did not look great. Uh, they had a huge win last night against Baltimore. What's your thoughts on them? A week ago, I would have agreed with you and said, absolutely, it does not like this is our year. This is going to be their year that they sit out. They just can't do it. Cam doesn't have it in them. Because there's some games where you look at Cam and you're like, he can't throw the ball down the field, let alone throw a screen pass. It just doesn't look good. Something's not right. And then you see a game last night where Bill's kind of designed the play calling and designed the offense around a quarterback that really just needs to be a field manager. He's not asking him to make huge plays. They said that throwing the ball was like throwing a medicine ball last night because of the pouring down rain and how heavy it was and just how difficult those circumstances were. And Cam was able to get the job done. So to his credit, I think that you can't really praise Bill. I mean, you can't really praise Cam, but you can praise Bill because Bill's never out of it he's going to find a way to just exploit the weaknesses on other teams and cater to the strengths of his team, which he knows at this point, Cam is a field manager. I mean, or better than that. I mean, he played pretty well last night and then now he's going back to the basics, which is getting that ground game going with Harris. I mean, I think Harris was averaging at one point last night, eight, eight yards a carry. It was crazy. He was dominant. He was dominant. Um, last question for you on my end. Um, are we going to have Seattle, Arizona, and LA on the playoffs this year? I mean, they're all six and three right now. That game on Thursday is one of the biggest games I think of the season because it's really going to shape how the NFC West is going down the stretch. I couldn't agree more. Watching Kyler Murray's bomb to DeAndre Hopkins yesterday was probably going to, it's probably going to be the best play of the year. I mean, that was just, it was insane. Um, I think so. I can't see anybody else coming in and taking up those spots. They all three deserve it at this point in my book. Heck, if the 49ers were all healthy this year and they had Jimmy and um, Kittle, I think they'd be in the mix there too. (laughs) Is Kyler going to win Offensive Player of the Year, you think? Maybe. I don't know. Didn't he? No, he got Rookie of the Year last year. 
I was thinking he got some big award last year, but maybe. Very possible. I don't know. Delvin Cook should be in that conversation. No, absolutely. Well, that's, I mean, that's what we're going to go do here tonight. Watching, going going back to watch that game afterward. But uh, uh, wrapping up with you here, Taylor, I actually I have a little bit of a lighthearted question moving outside of football here. Uh, I was reading your website, doing a little research, and and one thing that I found on that thing. <laughs> one one thing I found very interesting, and and I just have to know, is it says that you like to bake healthy recipes. That that was one of the things that you're big into, and I'm sure you know that comes in time. You know, you don't have as much time during the season, but what would be one recipe that you would share with us that you would say is your favorite to bake? What what's what's your specialty? Well, recently. I'm guilty of eating tons and baking tons of desserts, but you know, COVID times and, but other for healthy recipes, I would say I'm with my roommate right now. She's up here and we do a lot of the same dish, like two days a week, which is uh, baked salmon. We always like do a different dressing on it with grilled veggies and either cauliflower rice or regular rice. It's very simple, very easy to make. And it's always delicious. I know you've piqued my interest with salmon now. That that sounds really good. I mean, coming it's it's past dinner time here on the East Coast, but maybe a tomorrow or Wednesday type deal. But definitely sounds great. But hey, Taylor, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. And thank and, you for having me. Yeah, talking some football with us. We we do appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Um, again, thank you very much. And and as you move through the rest of the season, I hope that you, all of your loved ones, and and everyone close to you remain safe. Continue to stay safe. Uh, I'm sure it's a crazy world out there, but hope that all is well with you and, and again, all of your loved ones. And, and hopefully we'll talk again soon down the road. Oh, thank you. Likewise. And go, go Stealers. Trust me, <laughs> thank you. for me to say. <laughs> I, I saw your Instagram post with, with that and, and obviously with, with your uncle. I, I understand it. It's tough, but it's, I respect the Ravens too. Res respect the rivalry. Absolutely. Have a good night, guys. Yep. Thank you very much, Taylor. Thanks. That was a good interview. It was exactly what we exactly what we thought. Taylor's awesome, and maybe we'll have her back one sometime. I hope so. I hope so. Um, okay, uh, let's uh, get into NFL recap. Uh, touch on uh, some games, not all of them, uh, but we'll touch on uh, a good many of them. Uh, the Tampa Bay versus uh, Carolina game. Um, Tell you what, Tampa hasn't looked good the last two weeks, but Ryan, uh, we thought this game could go either way, um, and it certainly went Tampa's way. Part of that was the Ronald Jones 98-yard touchdown, kind of a momentum killer for uh, Carolina. Also, Teddy going down, um, you know, but they say right now, uh, as of this recording, uh, knee injury is not uh, severe, that he actually might be able to uh, get back on the field this week. So good news for him. Uh, we're always pulling for him, uh, especially that injury he had in Minnesota a couple years ago. Um, but Brady, 28 for uh, 39, 341, three touchdowns. Ronald Jones, who had the 98-yard, uh, fourth longest run in NFL history, 23 carries, 192, one touchdown. Man, they certainly got back on track. Tampa Bay, again, understood the, the implications of that game, and, and they really did. It's easy to not look good two weeks in a row and say to yourself, all right, look, we we have just almost lost. I mean, I guess, you know, they, they do come out with a win against New York, but you say, okay, we, we just played a very tough game with a team that's not great. And then we get blown out by a division rival, another competing team. We have to get back on track. And that they did. Uh, certainly Carolina also, 
they're kind of falling out of favor now. I believe this is five straight losses. Uh, folks, folks continue to kind of build them up for some reason and say, oh, Carolina is still, you know, playoff team. But <laughs> as, as uh, Ryan raises his hand there, um, but five, five straight losses is tough. That's a, that's a tough one to come out of. I mean, hopefully they can turn it around in the back half of the season, but clearly the Bucs were the better team on Sunday and, and moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like um, as we go down the playoff push, it it's almost too perfect, right? Tom Brady not having a good game against New York, definitely didn't have a good game against New Orleans, and then everything lines up for him, right? You know what I mean? He has this great game, three touchdowns, you know, almost throws for 400 yards. It's almost like saying, hey, we know everyone doesn't think we're going to do anything come playoff time. But it felt like they really needed this win because losing three straight, not ideal in the NFC uh, South, even with really it's just New Orleans and Tampa uh, as we get closer to the end of the season. But, I mean, they, they needed that win, and uh, they certainly got it done. Um, moving on, Washington, Detroit, uh, <laughs> Alex Smith, um, first start since 2018. He had career highs and completions and first time back-to-back 300 yards passing. Uh, he went 38 for 55, uh, 390, uh, but no touchdowns um, on the day for him. They were down 24-3. Uh, they came all the way back. Uh, watching that game, it's like Detroit did everything to give that game up and Washington did everything to win it in the second half anyway. And it was like vice versa. Washington's trying to lose the game in the first half. Detroit's trying to lose the game in the second half. And out of nowhere, Matt Prater hits the game-winning field goal. It felt very lackadaisical on Detroit's part, like a very like lazy win because they kind of should have lost that game. And at worst, it should have gone into overtime, uh, especially when Washington scored to get it tied 27-all. I just... My thing is, I know Alex Smith is probably going to be the starter for the rest of the year. They're not going to put Dwayne back in. Kyle Allen's injured, right? And I don't even see them bringing in a veteran backup. But the issue is their defense is so good. But watching the game yesterday, I can't tell you how many times I saw him throw to running backs, Antonio Gibson and Jared McKissick. There's wide receivers on the team. (laughs) like he can throw to them you know and I mean it's almost like once he's not throwing to running backs he loves Logan Thomas former Virginia Tech quarterback that they always mention during the broadcast that's converted to tight end I I don't know what to think of them they play in the NFC East they do (laughs) they do that can explain a lot this season uh but let it be known, though, too, that if, if you didn't watch the game, it's not like Matt Prater's game-winning field goal was an easy one. He barely made it over the crossbar. I mean, Matt Prater kicked a 59-yard field goal to win that game. I mean, that's that's something that's very impressive. It's not easy to do. I, I realize that field goals can you know seemingly get longer and everybody has has their range, but 59-yard field goal is nothing to nothing to scoff at. Um, my other the other thing that I wrote down for this game personally was it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the season Alex Smith is the comeback player of the year so we've already went ahead and made a note 
uh, on that, I hate to say it, but poor Big Ben, because Big Ben has a year where he's in a potential MVP conversation in some in some people's eyes. And Alex Smith is going to is going to win this award because he, I mean, the, the man almost died. There yeah, is. It, <laughs> yeah, it was not. Don't YouTube it. People do yes. not YouTube it because it is not like one of those injuries. You're like, Oh, uh, like I want to watch that like again, or, you know, whatever it may be like to see what happened. Do not YouTube it. Do not Google it. It's pretty graphic to watch. Um, because we're talking about the NFC East, we might as well mention <sighs> Philadelphia, New York giants. I mean, sports are fun, right? I guess, I mean, because as an Eagles fan, I'll just put that out there. When we paid Carson Wentz the money we did, I understood it. And I understood that, you know, he got the Eagles to the position that they were in. And then Nick Foles, you know, obviously won them the Super Bowl. They don't do that without Nick Foles. That's that's a clear fact, okay? But what I don't understand is it's like he's digressing. It's not like he's progressing and making better reads. If you watch that game yesterday at any point, now he was 21 for 37, 208 on passing, okay? Average day, average day. But it is like he is not making the right moves. He has a fumble late in the first half in that game that clearly, if he doesn't make, they can get down the field and score a field goal. I don't know. Try to get some points on the board before half. And then they come out in the third quarter. Boston Scott, 56-yard touchdown run. Boston Scott's a very good backup running back. He's the reason they beat New York uh, last year um, on Monday Night Football with his three-touchdown game to keep him in the playoff race. But there has to be a point, and I don't look, I'm not saying put in Jalen Hurts. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's something missing that he didn't take from years one and two to make the leap into year three, four, and five. Because for him to look like he does compared to Jared Goff in their stages of their career, where they're both one and two in the draft, there is a complete disconnect. So I, I pose this question to you. One of the big things that the Eagles have gone through, though, the last few seasons is injuries. And, and I realize that that people don't want to they don't want to play the injury card. They don't want to say that's what prevented us, it, whatever that conversation leads to. But do you think that there's a lack of weapons in in Philadelphia that kind of leads him to be bad? You don't have a clear number one receiver where he's taking the reads and then, you know, you have other guys that you can check down to or hit crossing routes. Do you think that's a problem? No, because, because Zach Ertz is a, is a number one tight end, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's one of, he, you know, he's not one or two. He, he's definitely a, you know, a good solid third tight end, best third tight end in the league behind Travis Kelsey. Um, I guess Gronk, you know, if we're still doing Kittle that. Kittle when he's thing. healthy. Yeah. Kittle when he's healthy. But I mean, they went for it with four minutes left, fourth and ten. Yeah, that's P. 
Peter Peterson's. What, what kind of call is that? Bizarre. And, and <laughs> here, here's what I don't understand either. Okay. I'm going to go back to the Giants for a minute. Okay. Daniel Jones, nine carries, 64 yards, a quarterback, one touchdown. He was not a running quarterback in college. He was a pocket passer. They drafted him to be a pocket passer. David Cutliffe was his head coach. That's why he's in New York. And he's played the Eagles twice this year. He had the 80-yard run where he tripped. He would have clearly scored a touchdown on that, and that's a funny moment to still say out loud. But he was 21 for 28, 244. Daniel Jones, to me, I, I don't even know if Daniel Jones is a number one. Like, he, he feels like a backup quarterback, like, three or four years down the road. Like, he feels like a quarterback who, like, you look on the sidelines a couple years from now and you see, like, in a Cincinnati Bengals uniform, and you're like, oh, wow, Daniel Jones is still in the league doing it. Like, that's the kind of quarterback Daniel Jones feels like. He doesn't feel like the quarterback who should have nine carries for 64 yards. I think, though, in that same argument, though, you may be saying that exact same thing about Carson Wentz here soon, though, too. Yeah, wouldn't shock me. I mean, $100 million for the way that he looks right now is unbelievable because it's, it's just the quarterback market. It, and what they did when they paid him that money, I don't know if you remember this, but when they paid him that money and for him to play like he did on Sunday and pretty much the last two or three seasons, it raised the bar for Dak Prescott. Cause remember Dak Prescott wanted a lot of money. And then he saw all oh, Carson Wentz gets this. I deserve this because I've actually took my team to the playoffs. I've been healthy, yada, yada, yada. Now Dak's injured right now, <laughs> you know, they were on a bye this week, but I'm going to get in the NFCs for a second. Okay. I'm going to go through the standings. Philly three, five, and one New York three and seven Washington two and seven Dallas two and seven. It is the first time since 1970 that a leader in the division through 10 weeks of the season does not have at least a 500 record. And look, we talk about it. It happens every couple of years with these divisions. Look, I don't want them to change the rules. I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff. But the winner of this division is not going to have seven wins like the Seahawks from 2010. It's not going to be a 7-8-1 Carolina from 2015. It's going to be either 6-10 and 10 or 5-11. and 11. There's no in between for me on that. Because Washington... As bad as they looked at times yesterday, they're one game back. They're one game back of first place. Think how crazy that is. That's insane. Dallas, one of my friends, a Cowboys fan, they're two and seven. Dak's injured. Andy Dalton's injured. They have, you know, their third string. They're two games back of first place. I just, and the Eagles, I feel like everyone looks at this team still as like, this is the team that won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. That team doesn't exist right now. They're, they're nowhere near that. Okay. And everyone keeps thinking just because they're in first or they're, you know, <clears throat> they have big plays like the Boston Scott play that they can make another run of the Super Bowl. It's not that easy. There's a reason there's only been one repeat Super Bowl champion in 16 years. And it was 2004, the Patriots last time it was done. 
Seattle could have done it, you know, outside, but, you know, the Malcolm Butler pick. I just, I don't understand the NFC East. Like, we, we could have a real scenario. Let me just lay this out before I let you get your point in. We could have a real scenario where the winner of the division is 5-11 and 11, and second place might be 4-12 and 12 and have a top-10 draft pick but finish second in the division. That's a real scenario. We've, we've said it for going on two weeks now. Just welcome to the NFC East. <laughs> it is it's so crazy to me that you watch that you watch games yesterday to your last point that both have division leading implications and top five draft pick implications that's a real scenario <laughs> that's that's just crazy to me and, and and i've heard other people talk about it the redskins are so close to being in first place but they could also draft justin fields how is this possible that we we have a division that's so bad? I saw this stat yesterday after um, after the four o'clock games. Steelers have won nine games this year, nine and zero, first time in franchise history. Not a big deal. The NFC East has ten wins total. Four teams have ten wins, and the Steelers. If, I mean, if it real, let's just say that they didn't have their bye yet, and their bye was next week, and they were still undefeated. They would have as many wins as the entire division of, of one of four football teams. We, we should not be having this conversation. No one should be, but that's how bad the NFC East is in 2020. When Philly made the playoffs and Dallas didn't, and that was pretty much the deciding factor on Jason Garrett getting fired. I remember Everyone's saying, watch out for the Eagles. Watch out for the Eagles. They're in the playoffs again. It's not that simple. It is not as simple as they won the Super Bowl a few years ago, so they're still that team. People thought about thought the same thing about Seattle for a while. It's, it's just, <laughs> I don't understand what's going to happen down the stretch because... Maybe it's the Giants. Maybe it really is Dallas. Maybe Washington makes a push because Chase Young, he's pretty good. And so is that defensive line with Jonathan Allen. You know, they have Montez Sweat back there on the defensive ball. They have Ryan Kerrigan, who's a pretty established veteran. I don't know who's going to win the division, but I truly think it's going to be someone with five or six wins. Regardless of who wins the division, I think we'll be sitting here in about seven weeks saying, I can't believe that they won the division <laughs> regardless yeah. of who it is because the giants look so the giants have looked so lethargic through the first how many ever weeks the Eagles have been bad. The Redskins have been bad. The Cowboys have obviously been bad regardless of who wins. We'll be sitting here in seven weeks, man. And, and we'll have no idea how it happened. Do you remember a few weeks ago when the Eagles didn't play to win the game, they played for the tie against Cincinnati fantastic scenario to play for a tie and that's the only reason they're in first place is the tie so when we get to that in the hunt or division leader graphic the reason they're still going to be in there is not just because the nfc east is bad it's because they have that tie and it's essentially keeping them in first which is shocking but that's a level of analytics that i think basically what you just said is extend doug peterson yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> 
Okay, moving on from the <laughs> NFC, I don't, I don't think we should spend more time on this. But um, getting to some afternoon games, uh, Ryan, Pittsburgh versus Cincy. They, uh, they did not have a uh, Dallas-type game uh, this week. They, uh, they played uh, pretty well. Big Ben, 27 for 46, 333, four touchdowns. I mean, 9-0, and okay? Ne- they've never done that before. Okay, keep in mind, Big Ben had a pretty good 2004 year. You know, they lost in the playoffs, but they've had really great teams. Is it as simple as saying they're just going to be in the Super Bowl, or is it not that simple? Not with the Chiefs in, in our conference. Absolutely not. And, and I mean, even, even the Bills potentially, because they obviously look tough. We'll get to that game shortly, but it's not that simple. I, I think the thing that, that Pittsburgh really stands out on, and I mentioned it with college football too, is it, it really starts with your defense. It really starts with your defense and your defense being able to make plays. And, and that's where I'm most confident is, is even though our defense has had its lack it had its, you know, lacking plays the last couple of weeks. I'm still confident watching our defense thinking no matter what happens, Mega Fitzpatrick's going to make a play or Joe Hayden's going to make a play or, or Vince Williams is going to make this play. Anybody, it could be any of those guys on the defense, but I'm, I'm confident every time that they go out there that they could make a play. So I, in, in my eyes, that's what's going to separate them but it would be no tough task to beat Kansas. It, it would be a very tough task, I should say, to, to beat Kansas City. And that's I think that's what it's going to ultimately come down to. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that it will be Kansas City and Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship with Jim Nance and, and Tony Romo when they get to that game in January? Do you believe those two teams will be in the championship game? Right now, yes. Right now, I think they're the two teams that I would peg to – to have out there, but the AFC is a, is a tough division. There is a lot of talent in the AFC all the way down to, you know, the eight and nine seeds of the AFC playoff picture. It's a tough division, but I think the two teams that have separated themselves are, are Pittsburgh and Kansas city to this point. So that's who I'm going with right now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. I mean, I think that, wouldn't be shocked if Big Ben won Offensive Player of the Year at this point, the way he's played. We would love that. Also, I have two more stats for you. Uh, fun stuff, being a Steeler fan in, in these times. Big Ben in his career is 9-0 and versus quarterbacks who have won the Heisman Trophy. He has never lost to a quarterback that has won the Heisman Trophy. Um, now, certainly last year we lost to Baltimore and uh, they, they had RG3 and Lamar Jackson, but Big Ben didn't play in either of those okay. games. And, right. and Baker Mayfield as, as well for the Browns. But Big Ben in his career has never lost to a quarterback who has won the Heisman Trophy when he mm-hmm. starts. And at the beginning of this season, everybody said, oh, well, he's the only quarterback without a Heisman. Don't think Big Ben cares about that. Not really his, uh, not really his M.O. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, a lot of the time, Heisman quarterbacks, like, they're typically four or five years in the league. Um, I mean, Matt Leinart won the Heisman, uh, Chris Winkie, many years back. Um, you have some guys who played quarterback and they won the Heisman, but they weren't exactly, you know, setting the league on fire. Sam Bradford won the Heisman, Tim Tebow, uh, you know. So, 
Um, all right. Uh, so Vegas, um, you know, they won yesterday. Carr was 16 for 25, 154. Josh Jacobs, 21 carries, 112, two TDs. Uh, this is a team that I don't think you want to play come playoff time, and it'll be like Tennessee from last year, where if you find them in the playoffs, look out. Because how many people actually thought Tennessee was going to beat Baltimore last year? Not many. And they kind of had the same form formula. Quarterback manages the game well, good running back, good offensive line, very good defense up front, pass secondary, one of the best in the league. Thoughts on Vegas? Raider grit. We said it on Friday, but that team is that team is gritty and they're they're tough. Football games are won up front, and that's where the Raiders seem to win them. That that offensive line is is fantastic. It's fun to watch. Um, usually throughout the course of any game that that I watch, I, I try to watch the offensive linemen. I know that kind of sounds weird and and football nerdish, but I, I try to watch the offensive linemen. That's a fun one to watch because those guys move people and they move them far. So being technically sound and being able to just push people out of the way, I think you're right. I think Las Vegas is certainly a team that is that is that can, they they may not win the division. So let's just let's say that you know Kansas City will probably win the division. Las Vegas will probably be a wild card team. There's no rule saying that a wild card team can't make a run though. Certainly, I think that they have the I think they have the skills. Uh, I worry a little bit about just playoff experience because in some regard, I think that does matter, but Las Vegas is a team that's up and coming. And, and I, I don't see any reason why they, why they don't have a shot. Yeah. And I mean, we'll talk about it later um, this week on our Friday episode, but they play Kansas city on Sunday night football this week. That's a huge game. So many implications. Um, tell you the truth. I wouldn't be shocked if Vegas won that game, um, but we'll talk more about that uh, later in the week. Uh, Buffalo, Arizona, moving right along. We talked about it. We thought it would be the game of the day. It really was the game of the day. Um, Buffalo was up, though, 23-9 to nine, uh, with about two minutes left in the third quarter. And Kyler Murray just made plays to get him in that game uh, right at the end of the third quarter, 23-16. And, um, you know, in case you don't know, uh, Kyler Murray threw a Hail Mary to win the game. And it was pretty spectacular to watch DeAndre Hopkins catch a Hail Mary with three Bills defenders around him. And you're just, it's one of those things where you're sitting there like, did that just happen? And the very next thing that popped in my mind was like, oh, the Texans, Bill O'Brien traded him for a second round pick. They didn't even get a first round pick. And it's like stuff like that where you're like, oh, I can't believe this actually happened in the NFL type thing. Like, cause you're thinking about what if scenarios, but Arizona, everyone thought coming into the season that they were going to be a playoff team. And it certainly looks like it's heading that direction. So the best part of that, I mean, the catch was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. That was a, an amazing play. Um, and Buffalo really thought they had that in 30 32 seconds left in the game and then that play happens it, it, it was a spectacular the best part of that though uh google it youtube it whatever you have to do deandre hopkins post game interview is 
awesome. It is hilarious, but it is accurate. Um, obviously, you know, you can Google it and I can't do a great DeAndre Hopkins impression, but basically he, he goes through the play and he says it was great coverage by Buffalo. There was three guys there. It was great, but it was a better catch by eye. You're hundred percent right, man. <laughs> that is, that is the absolute truth. And I think of that video of him being greeted by the Arizona um, Cardinal staffer last year too, uh, where he walks up to him and says, I just want to tell you, you're the best receiver in the game. He goes, I know it, you know, some, some may see it as, is cocky when you're the best receiver in football, I guess it really doesn't matter. Does it? No, I, I it certainly doesn't. And, um, you know, Josh Allen, he didn't play bad. Uh, 32 for uh, 49, 284, two touchdowns, two picks. Although one of those picks, um, for anyone who didn't see the game, was late in the fourth quarter with about three minutes left. Uh, those are kind of mistakes that he makes sometimes, but I still believe he's one of the best young quarterbacks that the league has and that, you know, he's just getting better. Um, you know, he'll definitely um, get Buffalo into the playoffs this year. They might win the division. Um, Miami's coming up on their tail, though. But, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, 127 yards, one touchdown, and it was the most, um, you know, the the best touchdown you could have um, to get them that win. And next-gen stats, so the Cardinals had a 12% chance of winning the game, okay, before the Hail Mary. Buffalo... 80%. After the Hal Mary, it swung the other way. Cardinals 99%, Buffalo won. And it's just one of those things where it's a crazy ending. You can't believe you saw it. And they're having themselves a big game on Thursday against Seattle. Oh yeah. Back back to that. Back to that conversation again, but I guess 12% doesn't matter too much when, when 10's catching passes. Yeah, no, certainly not. But, I mean, you know, let's just dive right into Seattle versus L.A. while we're at it, talking about the NFC West. Um, everyone keeps saying, you know, let Russ cook, let Russ cook. Well, here's what Russ did on Sunday. 22 for 37, 248, two INTs. To tell you the truth, that's not really a bad game. That's a below but, average. That's a below average meal. Right. Jared Goff, 27 for 37, 302 passing yards. Uh, it is the 23rd time he's go, gone over 300 yards in his career. Um, but the NFC West is, I mean, stacked right now. Arizona's six and three, LA six and three, Seattle six and three. That Thursday night game between Arizona and Seattle could really shape the future down the stretch for the playoffs to find out who's going to win that division. This is going to be another one of those things though. And, and we've talked about it, but Seattle's defense, Seattle's defense struggles. And if they don't have a matchup for Deandre Hopkins come Thursday, they could struggle again. Look, Russell Wilson is a good quarterback to get into a shootout with. He would be one of my people that I would pick uh, maybe second to Patrick Mahomes potentially. But you got to have defense to back it up. You can't let teams score all over you and, and, and rely on your quarterback to just single-handedly come back. I think that Arizona, although be it a tough game, that's, that's exactly what they needed. And, of course, L.A. comes out and, and shows themselves against Seattle. So 
uh, where we originally look at this season and say, oh, Seattle might be the team to beat. They're going to run the NFC West. We have two teams that are that are not going to die easy. At this point, who do you think is going to win the division? Before the Thursday night matchup. I am going to go with, I'm going to go with Arizona. And, and I think it's be, I, I think I'm saying that because Arizona has a quarterback who is, who is coming into his own right now. He's a dynamic playmaker and also has a great receiver to boot. Um, looking at it on the other side of the ball, I think the Rams might have the best defense and, and clearly, as I've stated, that's important but the Cardinals definitely have the second best of those three. So I think in head-to-head matchups and, and being able to match up with other teams, I, I think the Cardinals might have the advantage at this point, but we'll certainly see what, what Thursday brings about. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's going to be a fun race um, down the stretch uh, moving right along. Um, this game, you know, New Orleans versus San Francisco, um, Really, the reason I have this game on, on the radar here, um, Drew Brees' injury, uh, it's not looking good. It looks like he's going to be out for multiple weeks um, with rib contusions um, and a punctured lung, collapsed lung. Um, and, you know, it looks like they're going to go with Jameis uh, as a starter. They're 7-2. and two. Uh, They're with Tampa right in the thick of things in the uh, NFC uh, South. What do you think will happen for New Orleans as we move down – uh, the stretch. The thing is, is, is you're relying to a guy in Jameis Winston. I understand what happened last year. We get that 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, but Jameis Winston at least has NFL starting experience. It's not like you're turning this over to a guy who has zero to hardly any NFL experience. This guy has started a full slate. He understands the implications of it. He's not Drew Brees, clearly. So I think what they can hope for is, is let's say Drew Brees is out for the, the next month of football. If if they can stay at a two and two or three and one clip it over that period of time, they're still right in it. There, there's no reason to panic with that. And, and if Drew Brees comes back healthy and ready to go, uh, even if they would end up being a wild card team and Tampa Bay now would overtake them, you have to have confidence in Drew Brees. He, he's a legend. He's a Super Bowl winner. We understand it, but it, it definitely changes the scope of the NFC South, though, seeing what Tampa Bay does to Carolina and now knowing that it's not Drew Brees leading that team. It's it's Jameis Winston, but I don't think that's as bad as, as many are making it out to be. Yeah, depending on what happens, it's also not hurting the Saints, the fact that they have both wins over Tampa this year. So if Jameis can keep them above water, keep them to, I don't know, even a 500 record, things still look good for them. But we'll see what happens. The funniest thing about that, though, is picture yourself in 2019 right now. You're a Buccaneers fan. You have no idea that Tom Brady's coming there, right? You say next year you're going to be in a position to potentially win this division, and the person that's going to hold you back is Jameis Winston. (laughs) That's a yeah, statement that I mean, would make sense for both seasons because Bucks fans would say, well, of course, he's he's 
30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. And you're like, actually, no, Tom Brady's going to be your quarterback and Jameis Winston's going to play for the Saints. And he's going to crush your hopes <laughs> with a completely new team. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the 30 and 30 thing. I mean, he doesn't have the chance to do that this year, uh, but we'll see what he does going down the stretch. Okay, wrapping up NFL. Sunday night football, New England versus Baltimore. Huge win for New England. Um, They needed it. They beat the Jets on Monday last week. They didn't look good. Um, Cam played okay, 13 for 17, 118 yards, one touchdown. But really where the game changed um, is right before half. Um, Jacoby Myers had a touchdown on basically what was a reverse um, going in before half really changed the momentum of that game. And Lamar, 24 for uh, 34, 249, two touchdowns. Baltimore might find themselves out of the playoffs this year. Which is a, which is a crazy statement to make. I, I've, I've talked about it in the last 24 hours with, with, with multiple people. And you're right, it is a real possibility. I, I've talked about it again in the last 24 hours with a few people, but – Coming into this season, I felt that, and this is this is kind of a full scope type thing. I felt that the Steelers were disrespected in their preseason predictions. I didn't think Baltimore was necessarily over predicted, but for instance, Colin Coward sixteen and zero prediction that's absurd. You never predict a team to go sixteen and zero. That's that's insane. I may have still picked Baltimore to win this division at a 13 and three or a 12 and four and the Steelers at a wild card at nine and seven or 10 and six. I did not think that as we sit here going into week 11, that we would be talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers having a three game lead in the division over the Baltimore Ravens who were last year's sweetheart team. And, and here we are talking about Baltimore, maybe not even making the playoffs because that's how tough the AFC has become in the last you know, five weeks now. Yeah. I mean, Baltimore might miss the playoffs, not so much as them playing bad, but because other teams are playing well, I believe Vegas will get in, whether it's wild card or division. I believe the Browns will find themselves sneaking into one of those wild card spots. And because they went to seven teams and how important that buy is, I believe the Loser of the AFC South division, whether it's Indianapolis or Tennessee, the loser of that division will find themselves in a wild card spot because that's a tight race coming down, you know, the wire as well. And Baltimore just doesn't look like they have the magic that they did from last year. Clearly. I mean, last year they were 14 and two this year, right now they're six and three. So there's going to be something where I believe they're just going to find themselves out of the playoff race and we'll see what happens, but I don't know. I mean, they, they might just sneak their way in there because teams do that sometimes going down the stretch. Don't, don't forget about a lowly team down in Miami. That's on a five game winning streak too at six and three, who is, who is um, bringing a little to a magic with them. Yeah. And we didn't really talk about them today. That's, that's a real possibility too. It's it's weird how this AFC picture has shaped up. Uh, I saw a visual 
of of the AFC standings. And of course, Pittsburgh and Buffalo, uh, the Colts and the Chiefs are on top of it. But if you look after that, there is this distinct line of teams that are six and three or, or right around that mark fighting for the fifth, sixth, and seventh spot. And it's all the teams we just mentioned. If you've ever watched the seven weeks of a season to watch it play out, this might be the seven weeks because there is a lot of teams in that we'll call it second tier. Maybe, maybe that's not the best way to say it, but that second tier of AFC teams that are going to fight tooth and nail for these playoff positions. And it's good football teams too. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. That was a good episode. And uh, Ryan, I think everyone's going to like our interview on Friday. Oh yeah. Big interview coming on Friday. That's going to be a fun one. So um, hope you all enjoyed this one and, and be ready for another great one on Friday. Yeah, absolutely. See you guys. See you guys.